I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending February 26th. In September, NVIDIA announced its intention to buy ARM Holdings for $40 billion. There was speculation at the time that not everyone in the technology industry would welcome the deal, but so far, hardly any opposition has materialized, which is curious. It's beginning to look as if publicly opposing the deal might be almost as perilous as letting it happen. We'll discuss why with industry analyst Mike Fibus. Also, automotive makers are larding their vehicles with all sorts of sensors, which should help make vehicles safer in a number of ways. Everybody assumed amazing progress was being made until somebody realized that the suppliers of all these sensors never talked to each other which means they never devised a common way for application developers to tap into all their different products. For a vehicle manufacturer, that means that the task of developing safety applications is far more complex than it has to be, because there is no standard way to pull data off various sensors and use it. Today, we dive into the arcane discipline of application programming interfaces, or APIs. Before we get to either of those stories, here's a quick rundown of some of the top articles we have in EE Times this week. We've got the skinny on a new innovation that can make LiDARs better and cheaper, which means they could start showing up in a lot of new places. LiDAR sensors, which operate using pulses of laser light, are already found in products like drones and advanced motor vehicles, which need to be able to detect objects in their field of operations quickly. A company called EPC has pulled off the nifty trick of integrating LiDAR lasers with the circuitry necessary to drive them. We've got an article that explains the integration process, why it will make LiDAR faster and cheaper, and what that might mean for putting LiDAR in products such as smartphones. Where I live, the city bureau in charge of roads has found several innovative ways to make traffic worse creating backups and jams where none existed before. What if there were a way to create smart intersections that operated in such a manner that they would ease traffic instead of create it by responding to actual conditions rather than just setting timers for essentially arbitrary intervals? Well, there might be. And it depends on 5G connectivity and connected cars. You should check out our article on how smart intersections could ease traffic, reduce vehicle emissions, and save cities around the world an aggregate of over $275 billion, that's billion with a B, a year. I haven't done the math, but I'm pretty sure that works out to a lot of money per city. Find those and other stories at www.eetimes.com. If you're on our podcast webpage, there are links on your left. There is so much work yet to be done to make advanced motor vehicles a reality, and EE Times is all about exploring engineering details. For example, car makers are incorporating a wide variety of different sensors, including LiDAR, by the way. 
They use the data from those sensors to detect and respond, if necessary, to environmental conditions, road conditions, other vehicles, pedestrians, and objects, perhaps even traffic lights. We are on a roll tying everything together here, aren't we? Anyway, there is no standard for communicating with different sensors, especially if those sensors are coming from different suppliers. That means it's difficult to draw consistent data in the desired format in order to do anything with it. It's also exceedingly difficult to upgrade sensors or sensor modules. Now, there ought to be a way to connect sensors with the applications that need the sensor data. The way to do it is with an Application Programming Interface, or API. A consortium of companies that create technology for the automotive industry called the Kronos Group, together with the European Machine Vision Association, are forming an exploratory group to investigate requirements for embedded camera and sensor API standards. Global editor Junko Yoshida spoke with Neil Trevitt, president of the Kronos Group, about the process. So, Neil, where does this API sit? So, the to, to directly answer your question, mm-hmm. it, it is an API that sits between the application and the sensor stroke camera stroke ISP hardware. Okay. So, and what what software developers want to do uh-huh. is that they, they want to be obviously sensing their environment with what whatever sensor it is, you know, everything yeah. from lidar to you know. Image sensors, and they want to be doing advanced processing on it. You know, they want to be doing inferencing, you know, classic vision processing, all kinds of increasingly sophisticated um, environmental understanding yep. uh, processing. And to make that all happen, they, mm-hmm. they need to be able to. The application needs to be able to directly control the sensor hardware. Mm-hmm. To generate, and you know, this is the this is the key point. The the sensor assembly, whatever it is, yeah. uh, needs to be generating this stream of images for downstream processing. Now, you would feed that into a DSP or a GPU or you know, some other kind of hardware mm-hmm. that would be being controlled by a compute API like OpenCL or Vulkan, if you're talking kernel standards. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can't generate the right set of images in mm-hmm. in real time with sufficient control over all kinds of things, you know, and there's some of the parameters you know, here um, for a more of a camera type sensor. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have that level of programmatic control over the lens, the, um, the exposure, you know, and other stuff on a per frame basis, you can't generate the data that the downstream um, accelerator hardware needs to do its job and understand the environment. I recently wrote a story about a startup called Recogni. The company is planning to place its own very high compute and low power inference engine right next to sensors in a module. So as the company's explain, you know, the company CEO explains. Uh, its mission is to bring AI to the very edge of a vehicle. If that is going to be a trend, I just wonder how the new APIs you guys are talking about would affect smaller companies like Recognite who are in search of a new way to marry sensors with inference engine in a module. So 
it's very interesting example yeah. because the you know and I, I know I work for Nvidia, but I think that this is fairly widely accepted. The you know one of Nvidia's biggest strengths and why um, why Nvidia is such a formidable competitor in the yeah. AI space, the AI acceleration space. It's not just the hardware; it's the software. And so, yeah. in fact, you know, I've seen very many articles, many of them EE Times, you know, uh, arguing the fact that you know, actually Nvidia's strength is the is the software, because all of these innovative silicon architectures for mm -hmm. inferencing, you know, they're very interesting mm -hmm. at a silicon design point of view, mm -hmm. but no one can actually run any real apps on them because yeah. of the software infrastructure is lacking. You can come up with new generations of chips every. 18 months, your, your software infrastructure evolves and grows over years and years if you have portability between hardware generations. You know, in a pure inferencing space, you know, I think you, you've chosen NVIDIA as the example. That, that is an example of the long-term investment in software is the key to business success in this kind of space, even though in, in the bottom line, it's, it's all silicon acceleration. And I think you know, smaller companies trying to break into integrated sensor AI modules are going to face exactly the same problem. If that small you know, integrated module is exposing itself through proprietary APIs, both to drive the sensor and to expose its acceleration silicon, yeah. it's going to face exactly the same barriers to entry. Um, so the... You know, um, the open standard APIs for both compute and soon, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, the sensor and camera um, is very enabling to that to that kind of company. It lets yeah. them sell into, lets them sell to their potential without yeah. being um, roadblocked by you know, not having an industry accepted right. software interface to their yeah. hardware. That was Neil Trevitt of the Kronos Group explaining that without a consistent API, automakers cannot easily implement solutions from multiple vendors. The lack of such an API also stymies development of well-designed systems that can survive successive generations of hardware. Keep reading EE Times. When there are further developments, you'll be the first to know. NVIDIA's proposal to buy ARM Holdings is huge, not just because of the value of the purchase, but also because it threatens to upend relationships all through the industry. NVIDIA became a significant company by excelling at making graphics processors, which turned out to be useful for a lot more than just graphics processing. For example, GPUs are adept at many tasks associated with artificial intelligence and with supercomputing. NVIDIA makes GPUs and sells them. ARM, on the other hand, doesn't make much of anything. It designs circuitry, mostly processing cores, and then licenses to other companies the rights to incorporate those designs in their products. Part of the reason to point that out is that the two companies have such radically different business models. Another reason is that ARM licenses its designs, referred to as intellectual property or IP, not only to NVIDIA, but also to a lot of companies that compete with NVIDIA. Now, that's not news. The thought occurred to many, many people the moment we all heard that NVIDIA intended to buy ARM. What's news is the lack of news since then. You'd think that the opposition to the deal would be made known by now. So far, there have only been rumors. Bloomberg recently reported that Apple, Qualcomm, and Alphabet 
better known as the company formerly known as Google, were all in opposition to the deal, though they've said nothing publicly about it. Mike Fibus is an analyst and consultant, and he wrote an op-ed assuring EE Times readers that the opposition to the merger of NVIDIA is very real indeed. But there are reasons why nobody else in the electronic industry has gone on the record with their concerns. Global editor Junko Yoshida and I got on the horn with Mike earlier this week. Junko asked him what prompted him to write the piece. This is potentially one of the biggest and most consequential deals in the semiconductor industry that we've seen for a long time. And I was, I was just amazed at how little we were hearing other than, you know, other than what NVIDIA was saying about it. And I, I knew there had to be more because I, I could see there was more. And so talking with folks, I, I found out that yes, yes, it's not my imagination. There are a lot of folks that are that are pretty upset about the possibility that this deal will be consummated. Right. And then, you know, this became actually clear when the news broke that um, three big tech companies, you know, including Qualcomm, uh, Google and Microsoft, right? They came together against uh, this NVIDIA's proposed $40 billion buyout of ARM, right? I mean, that this kind of signaled to everybody in the industry. Um, not everybody's really happy about this, except for NVIDIA, I guess, NVIDIA and ARM. <laughs> right. And maybe not ARM, definitely NVIDIA. Uh, you know, ARM is kind of built built as a in a community, in a sense. I mean, it's, it's IP, they're a for-profit venture, but they're a Switzerland, as folks say. And so I mean, you mentioned Qualcomm, they'll share their roadmap, um, Samsung, you know, who makes their own, Apple will share roadmap as, you know, they're talking. And it's one thing to share that with Switzerland, but, uh, you know, a potential bitter rival in the, in the community, in the ecosystem, that's a, that's a whole nother ballgame. Yeah. So it looks like uh, you actually talked to um, several people, um, ARM licensees, and uh, that was also this was also my experience that we have received very muted reaction. You know, there's no violent reaction. Oh no, they can't do that to us, right? They, nobody said public publicly. What has been your experience talking to various people in industry? Yeah, they have been muted. And the reason they've been muted is, you know, classic game theory really is, you know, if they're the one, the only one that comes out against it and the deal happens anyway, they're they're afraid of, uh, of retribution. And that really speaks to, you know, how much power they see NVIDIA garnering with this with this deal, right? I mean, if it was inconsequential, if it was just a matter of, paying more for, um, you know, for silver, <laughs> uh, you know, they would have a whole, uh, a whole nother viewpoint. But uh, this is the core of many companies' business. And, you know, it's a lot broader than semiconductors. Folks have built, I mean, the ecosystem with drivers, uh, security companies, applications, and it's, the ecosystem is huge and it's, it, extends far beyond just the licensees. Over the decades, uh, you know, various companies 
not just in technology, uh, you know, in corporate in, in corporate life, uh, different companies have uh, earned reputations as corporate bullies. Um, does NVIDIA have that reputation? Are, are people afraid of NVIDIA because uh, uh, they expect uh, actual retribution being cut off of technology or what have you? Or is it just because they're big and you want to tread lightly around anybody that big? That's that's a good question. I mean, I do think there's a, a little bit of a reputation there, but, you know, fair or unfair, we, I mean, we haven't really seen it applied, you know, to these uh, to these players before. So, you know, it's a little difficult to say, but uh, I, I think companies out there are suspect and it's not purely because of the power that this deal would give them. What are the, um, what are the uh, uh, courses of action that, uh, that uh, could be taken? Right now you've got, uh, as Junko pointed out, three large companies that are uh, on the record saying that uh, they don't feel that uh, they're comfortable with this deal going through. Um, do other companies that um, are worried do they, is it wise for them to just sit back and let those three, uh, you know, uh, take the point on this issue? Um, does it, uh, is there an opportunity to go to the SCC or, or one of the other, um, you know, uh, government agencies that would oversee and approve the, the deal ultimately, um, what's the recourse for companies that aren't interested in seeing this deal go through? Right. Well, and first of all, we should point out that those companies reportedly have mm -hmm. complained. We don't know that for a fact. So uh, again, that speaks to, you know, to the fear of retribution. Um, and so that frames the, uh, you know, the problem and potential response a little differently. I, I think, um, you know, there probably would be a temptation. We'll let those three take care of it. But uh, I mean, that's anything but assured. I mean, first of all, I mean, Google and Microsoft in particular are, you know, the subject, some of the subjects of, you know, a growing antitrust kind of sentiment in, in Washington. And so do you really want those, those two? Plus Qualcomm speaking on your behalf. I think um, I think it, even if it's true that uh, you should find a way to, you know, to get to the FTC. And if folks' concerns are really valid, as quietly as you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. So let's get back on the deal itself. What's in it for Nvidia, in your opinion, Mike? Right, that's that's kind of the sixty-four thousand dollar question because I mean they have they have a license already. They're building on that license, and uh, and so it uh, and presumably there's a piece of the ARM roadmap that is going away. You know that would help advance their cause in the data center, just like 
just like with other companies, whether it's, you know, Amazon building its own Graviton series of ARM processors or competitors like Ampere or, or whoever. So they're serving that segment. What is it about? And already they're playing in that segment now. So what is it about the deal owning as opposed to renting, I'll say, uh, that, you know, makes this so attractive to them. And we can, we can surmise, but we don't know. But the grand plan probably they do have is that how they can leverage uh, actually tying arm with GPU is something everybody's worried about, is it not? Yeah, no question. And, you know, to, uh, you can see NVIDIA start putting in place or collecting, whether making or buying pieces, you know, to be able to assemble an entire entire data center, essentially. And so, you know, with their uh, acquisition of Mellanox, that's given them a key piece as things become, you know, more distributed. Um, it, you know, there's a wave now to have a small ARM core or, or a small small core. Right now, ARM is kind of emerging, but, you know, the jury is still out on whether that's ARM. But, uh, you know, as kind of the control, and then as you need an x86 processor, you tap it on the shoulder or you need a GPU. And so tying, obviously you could really raise ASPs if rather than a little ARM core, you've got a little ARM core plus a big GPU. Um, And that would also, even though smartphone, for example, isn't their primary market here, that would have an impact on folks that are either you know, licensing Molly or have developed their own, their own graphics like, like Qualcomm, for example. Or any AI related accelerators um, yeah. that, that, that would be greatly um, affected, right? By the uh, NVIDIA kind of dominating in that area as well. No question. And yeah, I mean, it really gets back to, do you really want your competitor defining, you know, uh, what the technology is in your market? It's, you know, I did go to business school, but I don't think you need that kind of experience to see that's not a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, One more thing, actually, in your story, you wrote about, I think there's a one sentence that really stood out. You said, taken together, those moves those moves, meaning that what NVIDIA is up to, uh, might drain cloud vendors' motivation for continuing to invest in their own silicon designs. What did you mean by that? So, you know, as this re-architecting of the data center is just starting to take hold, ARM is emerging as, you know, a, a potential sort of first line of, you know, of a control center in a sense. And, uh, you know, the CPU, you do this, the GPU, you do this. And and so, you know, they're realizing, hey, if we license and build that, we can save us and our customers, you know, a lot of money for that kind of work. Now, if, if ARM basically turns into a competitor and can take the roadmap in their own direction, 
you know, how motivated would I be if I'm Amazon to keep trying to design when, you know, my competitor could change the direction of the architecture? I see. Right. So they might as well just license. I mean, it's not right. their core business. I mean, it's not Amazon's core business to sell chips anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're selling to themselves, which is, that's a pretty good customer to have. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's your own, only customer. That was Mike Fibus, Principal Analyst of Fibus Tech. On the podcast webpage, you'll find links to our coverage of the NVIDIA deal, including Mike's recent op-ed. And that is a wrap for the weekly briefing for the week ending February 26th. Thanks for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.